I know quite a few of you love going on cruises, or at least maybe you did until the Ruby Princess. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a fascinating history. Maybe you cruise fans won't want to hear this. A fascinating history of cruise ship disasters, because when it comes particularly to the Carnival Cruise Line, the world's biggest cruise company, there have been quite a few notable incidents, like the Carnival Triumph, stuck in the Gulf of Mexico for a full week in February 2013. An engine fire took out the main generator, so no power. 4,000 people with no working toilets, no refrigeration, no aircon for a week. One passenger says, it was the trip of my dreams, a luxury Caribbean cruise. All-you-can-eat buffet, the good life, she says. You listen to the Carnival Cruise ads and you can hardly wait. And the reality is, raw sewage trickling down your walls from overflowing toilets upstairs in a four-hour queue for a cold hamburger. Another passenger remembers it this way. The stink was intense, she says, and the refrigerated vending machine in the stateroom was just standing there in a, a slick of melted ice cream. She says, I took a photo of it as we finally got off just to remember. Now, I mention all that to make the point that sometimes reality doesn't quite match up to our expectations. The glorious times you're expecting on the Carnival Triumph can turn into a week of stink on the Carnival Defeat, which is, I think, a good life lesson. A lesson about expectations. 1 Peter chapter 5, we've just heard it read. Uh, Peter says we need to be adjusting our expectations away from glory now to the promise of glory up ahead and setting our hearts there. And notice, that's the thread that runs right through the passage, that glory is not for now, it's for later. Verse 1, it's the glory that's going to be revealed, not now, but later. Verse 4, it's when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory, not now. Verse 6, humble yourselves now, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Not now. And after you've suffered a little while, verse 10, then the God of grace who's called you to eternal glory in Christ, then he'll restore you and establish you. Now, that's a simple thought that Peter, as he draws his letter to a close, wants to first direct to church leaders and then to his first century version of Gen Y followers, new leaders who maybe aren't that great at following. And then in closing to any of us, anxious sufferers who are saying this is not the cruise we signed up for. And at every point, Peter says, keep going for the glory up ahead because the glory is not for now. So let's back it up and take one step at a time. Verse 1, first of all, elders, church leaders, literally in the Greek, the presbyteroi, which is where we get our cool name Presbyterians from as a, as a church led by elders rather than popes, bishops or priests. And you'll notice even the Apostle Peter himself is happy to call himself just a, a fellow elder, although one who's a first-hand witness of the sufferings of Christ, which then become the model for leadership, suffering now, glory later. 
which is a good thing, he says, for leaders to remember. Read his words, starting at verse 1, and follow the whole thought. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Uh, Peter's whole model of leadership, shaped by the day he saw firsthand the Lord of the universe submitting himself to nails on a cross. The day that suddenly made sense of what Jesus had said about the last being first and the first last, about the greatest among you being those who serve. This upside-down model Jesus pioneered and demonstrated where positional authority isn't something you use for your own wealth or ego or glorification, but to serve. The glory can wait. So, question. How is that going to work out in concrete, practical terms for an elder or a leader in the church? Remembering that if it's good enough for the Lord of the universe to suffer for his people, if it's good enough for the ruler of creation to die on a cross for the sake of the glory up ahead. And you see, Peter says he's happy enough to wait for the glory up ahead as well. And so should his fellow elders. Verses 2 and 3, here's the job description. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Shepherding, not with a motorbike and a sheepdog. Jesus said that the good shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name. The good shepherd leads them to good pastures. The shepherd walks up ahead, watching for dangers, looking for the greener grass. If, If you're an elder or a leader or a pastor like me, God is placing his flock under your care, not so much under your power as under your care. Here at MPC, our elders used to be distinguished at communion services by sitting on carved wooden thrones on the stage. Years ago, we voted to stop doing it. Thought it was a, an unhelpful look. Although Peter does say there's a role here that involves leading and setting direction and actually caring whether or not the sheep get fed, caring whether or not there's a wolf over there, caring enough to lead, caring enough to give oversight. And so in a way, there are some higher chairs involved, but only higher in the same way as a lifeguard has. The literal Greek word there is they're doing the work of episkopos, which has been turned historically into the word for a bishop, and and you get the Episcopal Church. But it very literally means over-scoping, looking over, seeing the big picture, watching for danger, giving oversight, which are all big responsibilities. But notice Peter's not talking about bishops here. He's talking about local church elders who are called to be a whole lot more than just sheep who go to meetings and sit on chairs of honour. If the chair is any higher at all, it's only so you can see more and care more, which rather than being a matter of glory is a matter of service, which is why Peter's first thought is that you might feel that you have to be pushed a bit to do a job like that. And he says, if that's you, if you have to be compelled, if you're under compulsion, verse 2 Maybe rethink whether you should be doing it at all. Because you see, he's looking for the sort of people who will exercise that kind of oversight willingly, as God would have you. 
Now, that's the first challenge for an elder. And you might have noticed it's the first of three big knots at the start of the passage, three qualities to avoid in a Christian elder. And then he balances each one with the positives in a cycle that takes us through to verse 3. The first knot is the one we just saw, not under compulsion, which means on the flip side, someone who's willing. Here is the second knot right at the tail end of verse 2. Now, I guess this is a word more for paid church workers, but maybe not. I mean, maybe there are angles, maybe, and, and this is certainly true a couple of generations ago, maybe it's good for your business if you've got Presbyterian elder on your CV. It's certainly how it worked at one church on you. But look, if you're going to be a paid elder, someone like me or anyone in the paid ministry team, most especially, Peter says, principle number two, don't be doing it for the gain to yourself. Not greedy for money. Now look, I'm not a Greek scholar in a technical sense, but the word being translated there, the the thing not to be, and, and this might just be a coincidence, but in the original Greek, the word is eis crocodos, which sounds almost exactly like the original Greek word that our word crocodile comes from, which which is a great mental picture of a mouth on legs, a mind totally set on the next thing it's going to kill and consume. And so you do get your famous cases like Benny Hinn, people who travel the world on their private jets to to gobble up gullible Christians. Last time he was in Brisbane, this was a few years ago now, he said to people, if you don't if you if you didn't bring money, give you gold jewellery, give you a wedding ring, give you a watch, give anything you've got. As they sent buckets around the Brisbane Entertainment Centre time after time, selling God's blessings to make Benny rich. Just a tip, if you're a Netflix watcher, I've heard, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that there is an excellent documentary called American Gospel that is really worth watching that covers some of the issues I've just mentioned. Friends, avoid elders and leaders like that who are in it for money and glory now. Because God wants leaders who are in it for what they can give rather than what they can get. Looking to the glory up ahead and not the cruise of a lifetime now. Peter says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now friends, can I just thank you at this point for the way you as a church provide so generously year by year in your regular giving for the needs of our ministry team who are not in it for the bucks. There is a shared sacrifice going on as we carry the real costs of real ministry together. It is a healthy balance. And our elders who do it for love with nothing to gain, serving eagerly and not for benefit. One more not to look at. And for any leader, it's challenging. Shepherds who lead the flock by their example rather than by force of authority. So here's the third big not. Not acting like a king, but a leader who serves. It's in verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leaders who people want to follow because of what they see in front of them. Overseers 
who look at the big picture and who model the small picture, who encourage you to serve by serving, not by being served. Elders who encourage you to give by giving, not by taking. Who encourage you to share by sharing. Who encourage hospitality by showing hospitality. Elders who encourage you to be serious about God's word by by working hard at studying it themselves. Elders who draw the sheep together week by week by gathering themselves. So a word to all our elders and leaders. You are called first and foremost to lead by your example, not by your power. Tough gig, isn't it? You're a volunteer, so the pay is lousy, the conditions stink. You've actually got to put what you believe into practice, not because of the glory now, but because of the hope of the glory that lies ahead. You don't get the crown now. You get it when Jesus comes. Verse 4, a verse for under shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears on that final day, then... There's going to be a party. Then you finally get the recognition you deserve. Then you get thanked properly. And then you get your unfading crown of glory. Not now. Now, friends, I'd have to say, speaking frankly, this is challenging. And maybe there are some of you thinking that your speaker this morning should be taking a good look at himself. Over the last few years, there's been a trail of high-profile Christian leaders who have tripped over exactly this last hurdle of lording it over the people entrusted to them. And as they say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill Church, Seattle, gone. CJ Mahaney, Sovereign Grace Church, gone for refusing to listen to concerns raised by his church, discrediting anyone who complained. Most recently, Steve Timmis, CEO of Acts 29 Church Planning Movement, gone, accused of abusive leadership. The Greek word back in verse 3 gives the sense of ruling against, of dominating. And I know, even for a small-scale leader like me, there are times when people have sometimes felt that I've got that wrong, particularly some on the team. It's a concern that was articulated at our congregational meeting in December. Not exactly this stuff, but that sometimes there were things that, uh, when there were things that had to be done, I've set high expectations and sometimes I haven't had empathy and sometimes I've pushed too hard or too fast, being too much about duty and not enough about care. And I've got to say, during the Paul Smith Review, I've had lots of opportunities to apologise to people for exactly that. Can I ask you if you've got an issue you want to raise, raise it with me, because I'm sure there'll be more as I'm still learning and hearing and growing in humility. But as well as that, will you please check the facts? Because sometimes things are more complicated than they first seem. In any case, Peter says the glory is not now. It's when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4. So now is the time for humility and not lording. Which means if you dream of becoming a church leader because you reckon there's some sort of status in it, if you're thinking you get to put the crown on and sit at the big seats and look down on everyone else, 
think again. If you think there's a big corner office involved, you need to get over it. Which is why maybe 28 Ruby Road is such a suitably symbolic church office for a ministry team. You know, in the end, that's exactly the reason our elders voted to take away the big chairs up the front and just use the same seats as everyone else because they were convinced that the glory can wait until the chief shepherd appears at the end, Jesus himself. When the chief shepherd appears, says Peter, then and only then, then you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Might be a while yet, but remember, glory in this life fades fast. It disappoints every time. The cruise is never as good as you expected. This is glory. This will be glory forever. It's not for now, but later. Now is the time for humility, which is what Peter goes on to talk about next three times. First with a word literally to the the new ones, most likely younger leaders who maybe find it difficult to be led by their older elders. First, just first century Gen Y. And look, uh, younger men in particular will get this. There's this stuff called testosterone that fuels all sorts of good things as well as all sorts of bad things. But in general, young leaders, Peter says there are things to learn from those older, so learn humbly. There is a place for experience that knows if you do this, then you'll most likely get that. So Peter says new guys start with a position of humility. If you're younger, Throw your weight behind your elders willingly. Submit yourself. So read his words in verse 5. In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Willingly, not under compulsion. Humbly. But more than that, everyone, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because the glory won't be here. If there's no room for pride, it is time for humility. And so why not humble yourselves, verse 6 and 7, under God's mighty hand? Because he cares. He's not just strong and mighty, he cares for you. And at the right time, he will lift you up. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now look, you'll notice that there's always one more thing that happens when the luxury cruise goes bad, and that is that we get anxious. And there's a particular kind of worry, I reckon, that says, I'm a Christian and I'm suffering. What's going on? I'm a Christian and I'm sick. What have I done wrong? as if maybe you haven't prayed right. Oh, I'm a Christian and I'm lonely and, and unhappy. And you think maybe it's because I've missed God's perfect will for my life or, or maybe, just maybe, it's because I'm not a proper Christian at all. Because surely this sort of stuff just shouldn't happen. Peter says, folks, don't be surprised. Don't be anxious. Just be ready so you can keep standing. I reckon the worst thing when we went on a sea cruise at the Great Barrier Reef 
was that nobody warned us. Nobody told us that it was going to be turbulent. Nobody told us that the last thing we'd feel like for lunch was the free seafood buffet. Peter says, be alert and don't be surprised. You've got an enemy, the devil, and he's, he's prowling around like a lion and he wants nothing more than to eat you. But the point is, all you've got to do is keep standing. And remember, he says, it's the same for everyone. Under Roman rule back then, Peter says, everyone, everyone back then was suffering for their faith. That's not much different now. The whole family of believers is facing exactly the same challenges. And it's God himself in verse 10, who at the right time after the suffering will put things right and restore you and make you firm and steadfast. The glory and the crown and the pat on the back you've been waiting for. So stand firm and be patient. Leaders who model that humbly, followers who submit to that humbly, all of us together standing firm patiently. It all looks a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Which is exactly the point. In our tough times, in our COVID times, in our unwell times, in our sad times, Sometimes it feels like our cruise on the Carnival Triumph is an absolute letdown. But Peter says, keep serving, keep standing, and keep trusting Jesus. And at just the right time, God himself will do the rest because there is glory up ahead.